everyone. Welcome back to the Syllabus for Overcoming Stigma podcast. I'm Hannah, a graduate student in psychology, and this is our eighth episode. I am so excited to be recording again after a brief hiatus. I'm even more excited to have my good friend and fellow program mate here with me today. You guys are so lucky. Uh, today's episode will kind of be a two-part episode where I'll be hearing from the amazing Nima, who is a clinical psych graduate student here at the University of Michigan. So Nima will start by talking about her own experiences with social anxiety, and then we will shift gears a little bit to talk about all of the amazing research and clinical work that she has done here and is continuing to do here. And she will talk to us about an ongoing treatment program called Mood Lifters and also introduce a class that she will be teaching here this fall, which is such an amazing opportunity. I'm slightly biased, but if you are an undergrad and thinking about going into the mental health care field at all, this is really a, a really great opportunity. Um, so I, you know, stay tuned for the end of this podcast to hear more about that. And um, as usual, before we get started, I'm just going to provide my disclaimer so the goal of this podcast is not to provide therapy or diagnose mental illness in any podcast guest or podcast listener, and information shared on this show is not a replacement for a diagnosis, for professional advice, or for treatment. This podcast is just about sharing stories and the power of shared experience. So if you are listening and feel like you might recognize some of these symptoms as ones you might be experiencing yourself, I encourage you to seek out treatment and resources, um, and some of these resources can be accessed on our podcast website in the description section of this podcast, and I also present them verbally at the end of the podcast. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now because we have so much uh, great content to cover in a short amount of time, and I'm going to start by asking Nima here to introduce herself briefly to our listeners. So Nima, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Nima. Like Hannah already said, I'm a second year now in the clinical psychology program. Um, Hannah is actually like my older sister in the program, <laughs> so I'm really excited to be here. I listen to the podcast, too. Um, my little, my specialty in clinical psychology is intervention research, which basically just means I research treatment. So that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about later today regarding the class that I'm teaching this fall. Mm -hmm. Super exciting. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. And Nima does really, really cool research. Um, it's not always the case that people study the actual treatment. So I think that's really great. Oh, um, thanks, Hannah. That Nima adds to our program. Okay, so I'll ask you kind of about your experience with social anxiety. Okay. So when did you first notice that you were having symptoms? And you can just kind of tell us this whole story from the beginning. Okay, so this is a really interesting story, um, as I think it is for a lot of people who go into psychology who have also experienced some kind of mental health issues. So it first really became a problem in high school. Um because my friends were in relationships and mm -hmm. dating and just the thought of being in a relationship would give me a panic attack. Mm -hmm. um, and then it started progressing even more where I just didn't like being touched at all, even like by my mom. Mm -hmm. um, so it got to a really bad point. I went to a therapist. Mm -hmm. We went through the whole like diagnosing session and she's mm -hmm. like, yeah, like this looks like social anxiety. Um, yeah, and we talked about it for a while. I think I was in therapy for around four or five months, just okay. going through it, trying to figure out and that was in high school. Yeah, in high school. I think it was my senior year. So I was probably, gosh, how old are you in senior year? <laughs> like 17? 17, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so I was 17, um, going once a week. We talked about medication a little bit. Okay. 
Um, didn't try medication until undergrad and it didn't really work for me that much. I felt like therapy was way more helpful. So I stuck with therapy. Um, but the cool thing about being in psychology and then also dealing with the diagnosis is that I was reading the studies that were coming out about like social anxiety and everything. And there was this one study, you probably know more than I do. (laughs) There was this one study about, um, the microbiome, like Mm. the gut microbiome in kids who have anxiety. And I had like all these flashbacks to being a child Mm. and having these, like what I now recognize as being panic attacks before my birthday party. So we actually like stopped I stopped having birthday parties around the age of like nine or ten because I just couldn't handle it like I would start crying my stomach would start hurting really bad um and my mom would get so stressed out my poor mom (laughs) so now looking back it does seem like something that I've always just had um and there are definitely pieces of it that are still prevalent in my life the one that I always mention is I hate eating in front of people Mm -hmm, it gives me so much anxiety um, so if I can't even, I'm sure we've eaten together at some point, but you'll probably notice that I eat like very small portions. I've probably eaten beforehand or eaten after yeah, yeah. on my own. Um, so that's one that I still kind of struggle with. Okay. And COVID I'm sure made it worse for yeah. a lot of people mm-hmm. who have, um, social anxiety tendencies, just being on my own, I was able to get back in my comfort zone. Yeah. So I'm trying to come out of it now. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that it feels like my social anxiety has ran parallel to my life Mm. and it kind of peaks at certain points. It's like this constant thing that is starting to pop up and then fades away and then comes back. So it feels kind of like a life partner, but I'm just learning how to live with it. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's a really good way of putting it. I feel like people think of these disorders as like stopping, but they really are something that you manage and kind of they ebb and flow, but they are part of your life. Um, going back to when you were really little, yeah. did you have like any sense, like when you were getting really upset before birthday parties that that was anxiety related or that wasn't even something that like came into your That's a good question. I think I knew the direct, oh, I'm nervous that my friends mm-hmm. are going to come and not enjoy it or, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't link that to being irrational yeah. or, you know, like this like fear that I had built up in my head. Um, to me it was so real and it was like no like this is like a serious threat yeah. to my happiness and like my well-being and now looking back I'm, I am recognizing that it was just like irrational yeah. um and it was like a few instances where I thought my anxieties were completely like sound like I should be feeling like this yeah. so they just felt like normal emotions almost yeah, 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 but yeah. just very heightened of course yeah anxiety is tricky like that yeah <laughs> um okay and then when you were it sounds like it really progressed like by the time you were a senior in high school yeah. and that was really bad. Is that kind of, you just reached like a point where it was really impairing that made you decide to seek treatment or tell your parents yeah. or what was the kind of transition yeah. to getting treatment? It was unfortunate because okay. it was actually because I liked someone oh. and I really <laughs> liked him. Yeah. I know I really liked him um, and I was lucky he liked me too. So theoretically it should have been easy. <laughs> But um, the thought of being in a relationship and like having that label on me, oh, I just couldn't mm. deal with it. And there was this interesting session in therapy where I went in and my therapist was trying to figure out exactly what was making me anxious. Yeah. Um, and we started like she had me just kind of like close my eyes and imagine him and everything. And him as a person, I had no problem okay. with. I really liked him. 
Um, but when my therapist started saying like, okay, now imagine you're introducing him to someone as your boyfriend or imagine <laughs> you're saying like, yeah, I am in a relationship. I literally started having a oh, panic no. attack. Wow. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Like I've thought about it a lot about, um, why that yeah. specific thing. I'm inclined to say it has something to do with my culture. I yeah. know that like dating and relationships at a young age in Indian families is not the most common or not the most um, supported, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. So it could have been that. Um, it could have just been that I wasn't ready right. and I just needed more time on my own, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's great that you were. And was what was that process like of like even going to therapy? Sounds like overall in therapy you had a good therapist maybe oh, yeah. but what was that like like finding that therapist communicating to your parents that yeah. you needed to see a therapist it was a big struggle it was a very um difficult time I'm very close with my parents yeah. and I think all three of us would agree that that specific moment in our relationship was not the best <laughs> okay that's fair that's a hard time of, yeah of life anyway I um I remember I remember really wanting to go to therapy because I thought I like had a feeling that this is what's going to help me. Yeah. I need to talk about this. I'm not comfortable talking about it to my parents. Okay, yeah. So I knew I wanted a third party. Um, and still now. That was very self-aware of you as a <laughs> high schooler. That's impressive. I have always had an inclination towards psychology. <laughs> so true. I'm glad I ended here. I landed <laughs> here. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I did have a feeling that like, no, I need to like sit down and actually like untangle what's happening yeah. in my brain. Um, but mental health is just so stigmatized mm -hmm. in Indian culture. Um, even in my own family and extended family, like, of course there's going to be mental health issues. It's so common, Yeah. but the way it's handled is just very sweep it under the rug, mm -hmm. deal with it on your own, find a coping mechanism and just mm -hmm. write it out. So when I wanted to then I go to copay mechanism like, for the therapy, I was like, that is also nice. important. Yeah. If anyone does, <laughs> if anyone's going to therapy, they know how expensive that's true, it is. That's true. So copay and coping, as Nima <laughs> said, both are good. Yes. So when I told my parents I wanted to go to therapy, it was definitely something very new for them. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone in my entire family, extended family, no one had gone to therapy yeah. before. Um, my, I have so many like cousins, like there's no one went to therapy. Um, so it was something very new for my parents and they were understandably very scared. Yeah. Um, now as I hesitate to say it, but an adult, mm -hmm. <laughs> as an adult, I look back, I'm sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I hate that. I don't want to be an adult. Um, but I look back and I have a lot of respect for the way that they hmm. entered a new culture yeah. And the challenges they faced in having to assimilate to that culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that was kind of forced and on a timetable because of me and my sister. So I think this yeah. whole therapy thing was just another thing that was more a part of American culture, even though, of course, there was still stigma here. Yeah. Um, but for them, it was just like this brand new thing. They hadn't really thought about it. They didn't really know what even happens in therapy. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, here it is. Get used to it. Yeah. So it was definitely difficult at the time. I was in my typical teenage, no one cares about me. Everyone yeah. hates me yeah. <laughs> mindset. Um, but they definitely tried. It took some time. But then I think it took like about a month or two. And uh -huh. they started being supportive. They saw that, oh, this isn't 
harmful like they're not threat like you know they're not like drugging her putting her in a hospital like they want to know what's going on and if it comes to that then good like she's getting taken care of so I think they were just scared of the unknown yeah for sure yeah definitely a learning curve (laughs) yeah a learning curve and I feel like that can be a big barrier too is just like not knowing what to expect and it's one thing if you maybe as the adult are entering to it but when your child is like starting that and that's something that you're not familiar with I feel like that can be did you feel like you had to take on any burden of like communicating what that process was like after you started to your parents like after sessions would you yeah definitely definitely the first couple Mm -hmm. um I think the thing that helped most was they noticed a change in me. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then I felt like I didn't have to explain. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have to explain myself as much. Yeah. Um, But yeah, at the start, they were definitely like, so what do you do? Like, what do you talk about in there? Mm -hmm. What does she say? So it was a lot of trying to explain what happened without, like, saying too much because I wanted it to be more private. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, interesting. And I guess my last question about the treatment process, but what were what were you feeling at that time were you nervous about treatment I think that's a big barrier for people is even if you had a sense that this could be really helpful like so treatment for anxiety Mm -hmm. is kind of stressful like the Mm -hmm. nature of it is um you're asked to do really hard things in therapy so what were your kind of thoughts about that process did you enjoy going to therapy was it hard yeah um I really enjoyed it um I think I'm someone who likes to have answers Mm -hmm. and for me having these panic attacks and having this like heightened level of anxiety it just didn't it wasn't adding up for me I didn't understand like why other people weren't having it I didn't understand how did this happen all of a sudden like my mom used to be able to hug me and now I cry when she tries like where did this Mm -hmm. come from Mm -hmm. um and with my therapist it felt like every single session was it was becoming more and more clear exactly what was going on in me and for me having that answer and yeah. having that knowledge about myself was just so powerful um and I think that it really did lead to my love for psychoeducation yeah. and treatment because mm-hmm. I firsthand have experienced just how powerful it is to know what causes things yeah like oh there's a label for that right, it's right, so right. like this this thought you keep having is so common that people literally have a name for it. Yeah. And it's empowering and it kind of takes that power and control out of the anxiety and yeah. out of those thoughts and gives it back to you. Yeah. So that oh, when I, love I that way of yeah, at. steal that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please steal it. Cause it really helped. Cause then it was like when I had a panic attack and I was like recovering from it and I came back down, I could look at it and be like, that wasn't me. That was the anxiety. Yeah. 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 And it, it just kind of, it helped me feel like I had control over my life again, or at least I could start having control again. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I'm just going to do a little bit of um, terminology defining, <laughs> but Nima said psychoeducation. So it is a pretty intuitive term, but psychoeducation is just something that we do. If you've ever been in therapy, you might have encountered this, whether you knew what this was called or not, but it's just educating people about um, whatever disorder that you have, what the treatment process looks like for that. And it's good to hear that it can be really empowering. I think um, it kind of depends on the age of mm-hmm. the patient or the client, um, but uh, there are different approaches to this. But I think it can be helpful in reducing the stigma just to learn about this disorder that maybe you thought you've had symptoms about but weren't really sure and, yeah. and learning that other people experience it. Actually, I learned that tw- 
like 12% of people will experience social anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. So I think like the current prevalence is like at any given time, like 5%, but 12% is a really high number. 12% is a high number. That's like something that we could share in like a psychoeducation is learning that like this thing that I'm experiencing is really weird, but it's not necessarily like, um, I'm not the only one who's experiencing this. Yeah. And I just, um, Hannah knows this, but this past year I was working with grad students and one of the like biggest light bulb kind of moments for the grad students was like when we were all in a group talking about imposter syndrome because it is it's just such a common experience for graduate students to feel imposter syndrome to feel like you're a fraud you don't belong there you didn't earn your spot um and to be sitting in a zoom call with 10 other graduate students who are like oh yeah I have that too yeah it's kind of like oh like this isn't unique to me Uh this isn't actually reflective of who I am or my experiences it's almost like a symptom of my context yeah it's because of the highly competitive environment or the highly selective environment that I feel or just just general like discrimination right like you feel like you don't belong if you're not represented so I think just learning about things it can be really helpful um, especially if you have an inclination for psychology like yeah probably the people listening to this have some interest in mental health um and just learning about it, it can really, it can help you understand yourself better. And then I think it just, it feels very empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that we talked about this. And also, I feel like maybe this is a bold claim, but I, I do think it helps with some of the guilt maybe that people experience when yeah. they're having the symptoms to know that other people who are in their same circumstance mm-hmm. also feel this way. It's not like yeah. they, you know, don't deserve to feel to feel that way or to have those symptoms um, but that it's a shared experience yeah that's a really good point because I think the unique thing with the social anxiety that I experienced was a lot of my questions were not just coming from me they were coming from the people I was socializing with yeah so like my mom being like well now why can't I hug you anymore like what's happened yeah yeah or oh, the guy I liked being like, but everyone else is like labeling it. Why can't we label it? And I was yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, I just can't. <laughs> you <tell me. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, and then, okay. I have one more question about the treatment. Yeah. But what had, and if you've done any treatment kind of later in life, have you been doing like, um, besides the psychoeducation component, um, like exposures in therapy or what has that process looked like for you? Yeah. So when it was really bad, we did a lot of exposures. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think back. It was a yeah, it was a lot of exposures. And then once I'm at my highest level of anxiety, then instantly like, OK, let's do the like relaxation yeah, yeah. and all that. So it was a lot of like practical um, yeah. techniques, which was really helpful. Um, after that, I went to therapy again for a little bit in undergrad. Okay. And that was a lot more of me just like, I need to get everything yeah. out. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, at that point, I had a better idea of how to deal with my yeah, anxiety. better coping skills. Exactly. Yeah. So it was just like almost like an influx of stressors. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just need to spit them out mm-hmm. and then I can deal with it. Yeah. Um, That's a good point too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that actually because it's like, I think we have this idea that like one therapy works for one disorder, but actually yeah. probably at different times of life people's needs are different even yeah if it's the same exactly set, set of symptoms. exactly very cool okay so talking about stigma mm. <laughs> we have addressed this a little bit which is great but um really thinking about stigma specifically what was kind of did you encounter any self-stigma so that's like stigma 
that you felt yourself or any other mental illness stigma when experiencing symptoms um, from other people or friends or family? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think self-stigma, probably a little, um, because I was diff- the way I was experiencing relationships and dating was so different from anyone I knew. I was yeah. like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> like, right. why can't I yeah, do yeah. this thing? Um, and then stigma from everyone else, definitely. I think in that age, being different isn't yeah welcomed. Right. Right. In high school. The irony so. is that everyone is feeling that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I, it felt like a lot of questions and a lot of like why like what's going on like why can't you just do it and I'm like I just can't um and it felt like I had to explain myself a lot and explaining Mm. yourself Mm -hmm. is difficult when you don't know the answers yourself that's a good point which then was giving me more anxiety (laughs) so it was just like this like never-ending thing where I was like this is just not working for me yeah um so yeah stigma was big and then of course with the cultural aspect yeah that one was probably the hardest within my own family yeah, is there anything else that you want to talk about culture? That was kind of going to be my next mm. question. Or I, I know that you do some of this research as well, if there's any things that Yeah, you know. culture is just so interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, one of my, for one of mine and Hannah's classes last semester, I did this like whole paper thing on um, children of immigrants yeah. and their mental health. So I'm a child of immigrants. My parents immigrated from India. Um, and I just think it's something about having one foot in two cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I look back and I, I do wonder if I didn't have that experience, would I still have social anxiety? Hmm. Um, maybe my anxiety would manifest in a different way. Sure. Right? Yeah. And it would just come out differently. But I think the social aspect in particular might be tied to yeah. culture because I remember growing up, it was like a very, it was a huge thing in my head that I am not white. I don't eat the things that my friends mm-hmm. eat for dinner. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, do my clothes smell? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I'm not like wearing my hair right. Like there's oil in my hair. Like just like things that are typical of an Indian or not, I won't say typical, but maybe other Indian children Indian American children can identify with yeah um just being very aware of your own cultural traits yeah um and again now looking back at high school I do recognize a lot of things I did in high school to appear more white Mm. Mm -hmm. and I, I I do wonder if that's also kind of tied with my social anxiety like trying to fit into a mold that I didn't fit into yeah um or just being overly like self-conscious mm-hmm. of who I am and where I come from and just the anxiety surrounding that. Yeah. Um, like I think of it almost as like, I don't know if any of you have had this feeling before, but if you wear a shirt backwards, right? Yeah. Like, or an inside out or something and you show up to school and then you look down and you recognize it and you can't <laughs> change it right away. <laughs> and you're like, Oh shoot. Like I got to go change my shirt around, but you can't. And you're sitting in this like uncomfortable anxiety of like, is someone going to notice? Yeah, is someone yeah. going to notice? For me, that inside-out shirt was being Indian. That's a really powerful <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. And it was just this thing that I was like, oh, God, people are going to know. Wow. Like, And I just couldn't change it. But I was very actively trying to change it and very actively trying to appear more white. Yeah. Um, but granted, living in that level of anxiety, right. it's going to come out somewhere. Yeah. 
And I wonder if you would have had that experience if there were more people who shared your culture and your environment or, um, yeah, Yeah. but sticking out like that certainly, I think, is anxiety provoking in and of itself. Um, Yeah, interesting that you mentioned the food too, about like that being something that you were sensitive about and now kind of some exactly um, anxiety around eating. Yeah, because see, and that's another thing, like one of the biggest reasons I get nervous eating is because I never learned how to use a knife and a fork because in Indian (laughs) food you eat with your hands wow um so I just like I'm sure I know how to use it properly my partner always tells me no you're doing it fine like (laughs) stop worrying it's okay but in my head I'm like no I'm holding it in the wrong hand yeah um so yeah like again it's like this cultural experience that I have that prevents me from maybe doing things that are more normed, uh-huh. like going and eating with a knife and a fork. It just makes me nervous because I'm like, I'm not doing it right. I'm going to look yeah. stupid. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, everyone follow Nima's research on this and <laughs> just her general. Whenever she can catch her speaking about it, it's really interesting <laughs> to me. Um, okay, great. So thinking about things that have been helpful, mm-hmm. I always like to talk about this too. So are there people or things that you've relied on for support? Obviously, it sounds like therapy was helpful, which is good. Um, But maybe other things that typically people wouldn't think of that have been helpful in coping with the anxiety or generally just kind of living your life alongside the anxiety, as we mentioned. Um, I will say I think I'm very lucky um, and very privileged to feel comfortable disclosing my social anxiety, because I think that it's allowed me to have a lot of support Mm -hmm. over the years. Um, I think back to high school and like one of my childhood friends could, I told her everything and she can, she had this amazing ability to just look at me and know that it was coming and she would just take me outside. And it's a very good friend. (laughs) It's a very good friend. We've been friends for 20 years now. Um, and yeah, like that was really helpful for me. She knew exactly what I needed. She just wouldn't touch me. She just kind of let me write it out and just mm-hmm. sit next to me. Um, and then, of course, now um, my boyfriend is the same. I'll give him a shout out. <laughs> um, he's shout the out same. Amos boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> he's the same. He's very um, receptive. I will say if you know someone who has social anxiety, I think the most helpful thing for me was having someone just ask what I need instead of assuming. Oh, that's such a good tip for people. Yeah, yeah because it it not only does it depend on the person, yeah. it literally depends on the context. Like there are some times where I'm having a panic attack where I need someone to like actually like breathe with me, like take yeah, a yeah. deep, like guide me through the deep breath and then I can follow it. Uh-huh. And then there are other times where it's like, I need you like 10 feet away from me. Yeah. I don't want anyone near me. I need to sit on something cold, like yeah. on cement yeah, 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 and yeah. just be cold. Uh-huh. Um, the coldness really helped me. I yeah. heard that actually. Really? I, I didn't like know that until semi recently, but that that can be helpful. And I've heard that. Really? I, yeah, that, that used to be so helpful for me. I would just go and lie down on my driveway and it was just like, <laughs> oh, it felt so good. And I love that you said that it's helpful I don't know. I think people are always asking, like, what can I do if my friend has social or XYZ yeah. symptoms? Um, and I think you're saying that it's been helpful for you, at least when people ask you, yeah. what can I do to be helpful? Do yeah. you feel like you always knew what was helpful or is that something that you learned over time? Um, I think so. When you're asking what would be most helpful, I would encourage you to do it probably like a day after yeah because if someone asked me like tell me right now. <laughs> I would be like <laughs> yeah, right. I just couldn't do it yeah. um but yeah I think that I see it's difficult to say because now that I'm thinking about it 
if someone asked me beforehand, like yeah. right when they met me or right when I told them, I don't know if I would know because I don't know what my relationship with them is yet yeah. in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I think it's most helpful when they ask after. Yeah, yeah. Because then I have that memory of in that moment, what was I craving? Mm-hmm. And specifically, what was I craving in regards to you as a human being yeah, who was there? Right. It might be different. Like what I crave from my mom is different than what I crave from my boyfriend, from my friend. Like yeah. it's all different. So being in that context once might be a good primer. Yeah, yeah. And then following up on it might be a good way to figure out like, okay, so what do I actually need from this person yeah for sure i mean social anxiety is inherently related to social interactions so yeah. i think there's that added element of, true yeah of the person that you're interacting with um and it sounds like yeah the people that have been able to support you the best are the people that have maybe known you for a little bit and yeah so also exactly given the person who's experiencing whatever symptoms the space to learn about exactly. i mean you as a person can observe you know what can and can be helpful yeah too. Okay, great. I like that. And anything else you wanted to mention that's like, I don't know, things like hobbies or or other things in your life that have been helpful? Oh, you know what, actually? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. (laughs) I hadn't even thought about this, but writing really helped me. I was really into poetry for a while. Um, I'm really sad I fell out of it, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I know hopefully one day, but I found that with my anxiety, um, writing was an easier way for me to communicate what I was feeling. I feel like I've already used a few metaphors in this yeah. talk. That's very poetic. For, thank you. <laughs> for me, um, for some reason, metaphors, it's just how I learn. It's how yeah. I explain things. It makes so much sense to me. That's probably why you're a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think so. <laughs> no, but it, it is just helpful for me um, to use metaphors. And I think that came from my poetry. Yeah, so that was a big hobby for me when I was dealing with all this. I like that. Yeah, I think uh, it's helpful to for people to have that outlet. It's like a way of sharing, like a sharing whatever you're feeling or thinking without necessarily having to communicate that to another person yet. Yeah, I know you might have shared your poetry, but I think a lot of people find solace in that. Yeah. Um, Okay, very cool. And then I guess our last question about maybe social anxiety, but. Mm. What would you say to somebody who is also experiencing these symptoms? If, if it's like a college student who might be experiencing these symptoms for the first time, or I do feel like anxiety usually manifests little yeah. <laughs> bursts of it earlier in life too. So maybe someone who is like around high school age, like you, when you first yeah. were able to put a name to your symptoms, what would you say to somebody like that? Um, I think like, so something I've said to a couple people who are also dealing with anxiety is like life is hard in a lot of ways. Um, things pop up, things happen, but in your head, like the way that you see things, the way that you t- treat yourself or talk to yourself, like those kind of more normal human experiences, they shouldn't be as distressing as they might be to you. And you don't have to live like that. Hmm. So if you're feeling like, normal daily life stuff yeah is becoming very difficult for you and you think that oh like this is just how it is for people right it's not yeah like go talk to someone um because whatever anxiety depression whatever you're experiencing it's preventing you from living the life that you're supposed to be living it's not the life you're supposed to be living yeah so just yeah just please reach out to someone 
Yeah. Because it is something that you can um, you can find a way to deal with and you can find a way to live with, but right. you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. I, okay. I really like that. And I think, yeah, it is this like interesting dichotomy that I feel like we encounter a lot in maybe at a therapist or, but it's like, yes, a lot of people experience this. So you're not alone. And this is, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty that you're the only one experiencing these things. But then at the same time, it's like, but also this shouldn't be like normal. You shouldn't have to feel like yeah. this. <laughs> like I think of like my mom, for example, I have a very healthy relationship with my mom. I love her so much. The fact that I couldn't hug her, yeah, which is something right. at one point I could do. That is a level of anxiety and distress that I just shouldn't have been dealing with for that long. Right. Like I, I needed to like actually talk to someone about it. So those are the kind of experiences I'm talking about mm-hmm. where it's like A and B yeah. together make sense. You love someone, you want to express right, that right. love in some way. But if you feel like you can't or it's distressing, um, that's something that, I don't know, it's just, I just don't want people to live with that baseline sure. of anxiety. For sure. That sounds, you know, really impairing and these yeah. disorders can be impairing in various aspects of exactly. life. Like sometimes this pops up. And it's always interesting because it's like those types of things that push people to eventually seek treatment, which I guess is good. But also I hope that maybe some people yeah. could get treatment before it reaches that level. But yeah, like in work, this manifests a lot if people have yeah. social anxiety about um, talking to their boss or mm-hmm. even giving like presentations that are necessary for work. Then exactly. that's really impairing, right? Yeah. You can't, like you should be able to um, do your job if that's something that you and enjoy. To, yeah, and to do it the way you want to do it and do it like in a way that doesn't yeah. feel like you're suffocating right right, right, right. <laughs> right? like I think a lot and I, I see this a lot in like the grad students I was working with um so many of them were like scoring high on depression anxiety functioning so well right. and I'm like that scares me that <laughs> yeah. you're just living with this high level of so like yeah. anxiety and depression and you're walking around writing papers giving presentations yeah. like how are you doing this yeah 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 Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's going to be, I think, a good um, thing for people to hear, especially grad students. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Speaking of, um, well, kind of, but speaking of, you know, things and treatments, I think we'll transition a little bit into talking about mood lifters and all the great things that Nima is doing. Exciting. Um, So mood lifters, Mm. could you start um, by telling um us a little bit more about what that program is who it might be good for yeah um this is always so hard for me because I've been working on it for so long I struggle to sum it up <laughs> but mood lifter is the basic premise of it and I should say Nima's been working on this since she was an undergrad yeah it's, gosh what is it my fifth year now wow that's yeah. a really long time very long time very yeah cool. um it's so um, my advisor, Dr. Patricia Delden, created it with um, Dr. Cecilia Vada. Okay. Um, and the way that Patty likes to describe it is it's like Weight Watchers for Mental Health. Yep. Um, basic premise of Mood Lifters is you've got a group of people. Hopefully we try to make them people who are um, similar in age to you, mm-hmm. similar life experiences, hopefully. So ideally a group of peers Um, You're going to have a peer leader and a peer helper, and they're going to walk you through 15 meetings. So it happens once a week for 15 weeks, an hour long. And the meetings range from biological stuff like sleep, Mm -hmm. exercise, nutrition, um, to more psychological. You got like cognition, so thoughts, emotions, 
and then we end with social stuff. So just like making connections, fostering that um, social network. So we take a biopsychosocial approach mm-hmm. to mental health, essentially covering these different factors that the research show improve mental health. And our goal is that by the end of the 15 weeks, we've given people this wide variety of tools that hopefully they can apply to their mental health now. And in the future, if they do come across any difficulties, they have that toolbox to pull from. I love that. That was a so very the... eloquent. Oh, really. thank you. <laughs> I, 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 tr- I tried. I rehearsed. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. And I mean, how cool is that to everyone listening? I mean, I think this is just a great um, thing that's been started. And um, so who can who can seek treatment right. from Mood Lifters? So that's the kind of cool thing about Mood Lifters. Um, it's cool for a couple reasons. I am, of course, very biased <laughs> on this. But um, we... At least to my knowledge right now, we don't like bill insurance or anything. Okay. So literally anyone can join. Yeah. Um, you can have a diagnosis of anything. You, you don't have to have any diagnosis. You could be just wanting to expand your um, mental wellness like mechanisms or techniques yeah, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Um, so we're very open to it as long as both us and you, of course, as a participant feel like you would be comfortable in a group setting right. and you could like benefit from that group dynamic. Yeah. You're I always welcome. An yeah. important clarification to that midlifters, all the programs are at the group. Yes, level. exactly. Yeah. So there are some instances where um, we'll have some participants who it just doesn't feel like a good match. Right. Um, and in those cases, we always refer to other resources and we make sure that they're still receiving some kind of care. Yeah. Um, and then they're always welcome to come back if they feel like at a later point, they'd be a yeah. good fit. But we really do welcome anyone and everyone. We try to be like as inclusive as we can. So I know we've had international participants before too. Um, Biggest issue there is, of course, time. We try to find a good time for them so they're not up in the middle of the night. But yeah, it's a very open environment. No really criteria or anything. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And I actually think group, from my experience, like you know doing running groups they can be really really like the group therapy format i think people very powerful there might be some bias against it initially yeah. it feels like a little bit weird to be around but it can be like so helpful mm-hmm. and cool so definitely a big proponent of group therapy definitely um great and what like age groups can so can yeah. undergrads seek help with mid lifters or is focused on grad students or yeah adults? so we've done a bunch of different <laughs> studies and populations so our original Moodlifters program was developed for adults, okay. so anyone over the age of 18. Yeah. From there, we have started doing it for specific populations Very cool. um, because we recognize that not every population, yeah. you know, like encounters the same stressors or mental health issues. So an example, this past year, I did Moodlifters for graduate students and young professionals. The That's research cool. does show that um, things like imposter syndrome your relationship with your advisor, self-compassion, those are things that are um, much bigger risk factors in graduate students and young professionals compared to the general adult population. So we thought having um, meetings specifically about those things would not only be beneficial for the graduate students, but could also foster more of a community sense with them that like, oh, like we're actually talking about specific things I've gone through. Um, we also are more in the research. So that's in the research phase, the graduate students and young professionals. Um, we're also in the research phase of a mood lifters for kids program. Um, I think that'll be starting this year. 
undergrads, I'm going to cross my fingers and say, hopefully we're going to have something for you second semester. So if you go to the University of Michigan, you're an undergrad, um, just keep your ears perked for second (laughs) semester. We might have um, a special offering for you then. But we are working on an undergrad version. Um, Any undergrad, though, over the age of 18 is welcome to join the regular adult groups. We've had um, quite a few undergrads join those groups. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah, I guess. I'm going to take a step back and then take us a step forward. But (laughs) the step back is just that, yeah, I think awesome that Nima here has, you know, really helped facilitate this grad student um, specific version of mood lifters for whatever reason. Nima can probably tell us more (laughs) about the statistics behind this, but there is a huge prevalence of depression and anxiety amongst grad students of all different types. Um, So I think there's a specific need in that community. And I would argue could be especially beneficial fit from this like group therapy yeah. where you're realizing that this is truly a shared experience yeah. amongst grad students um so very cool and then the pushing us forward is that you mentioned maybe that there's this opportunity for undergrads to receive care through midlifters moving forward mm-hmm. so could you tell us about um, the class that you're teaching this fall yeah um so i'm teaching project outreach um my section is called mental wellness So that's Psych 211. I believe Mm -hmm. it's Section 3. (laughs) Um, As of this morning, I have five seats open. Oh, very good. Five (laughs) seats, everybody. (laughs) So um, come join us. It'll be fun. I just got trained in the classroom. We're in a super cool classroom in the new building. Okay. Oh, what's the new building? I I don't even know what the full name is. I just know it's CCCB. (laughs) (laughs) It's like right next to the bus stop. Okay. What bus bus stop? (laughs) What is that big uh, bus stop called? Oh, by the bio buildings? Yes. Like, what is that one called? Couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah, just that bus stop. That's um, kind of near Church Street. Off yeah, Church yeah. Street. Okay. Yeah. Um, On main campus. Exactly. <laughs> a very nice new building with a few letters. As you can tell, me and Hannah don't leave East Hall much. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's... Um, Basically, the whole course, it's kind of complicated to explain because it's different from other undergrad classes. Um, But Project Outreach is like a service learning course. There are some really cool sections, um, sections I wish I had taken as an undergrad Mm -hmm. (laughs) at Michigan. So take Project Outreach if you have it in your, um, if you can fit it in your schedule. Um, But anyways, um, the whole course is service learning. So the idea is that most of your learning happens outside of the class through direct experience. So my section, mental wellness, my students are going to be going through the Moolifters program as a class, like in little tiny groups, Mm -hmm. but they're going to run through the program in their placement hours. Okay. So that's like three hours a week outside of class. You meet with your placement group. They're going to go through the program. um, And essentially in one semester, they will all be trained to become Moolifters leaders and helpers. How cool is that? Okay. And you may ask. (laughs) what will we do with 50 <laughs> undergrad mood lifters, leaders, and helpers? Use your imagination. <laughs> like, w- as I said, mood lifters is all about peer leaders, yeah, right? Yeah. So if we have 50 undergrads who are trained to be leaders and helpers, yeah. they could run some groups. Right. Um, we know that there's such a long wait list and there's so much demand mm-hmm. at CAPS and mm-hmm. um, Wolverine Support Network and all of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to kind of of course, lessen the load on them and also just help all the people who need it. So yeah, this is going to be a really fun semester. I'm really excited. Um, At lectures, 
we're going to have some guest lectures. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about just intervention research in general, yeah. what clinical psychology intervention research looks like, evidence-based care, what that means. Um, and then just, yeah, getting them trained in mood lifters so they have some experience in um, providing something that is evidence-based. And then hopefully if they're interested, if it's a good match, then moving forward, they then have an opportunity to lead real groups with their peers. Yeah. I mean, I really can't stress how cool this is. If I was <laughs> able to take this class, I would sign up immediately if you're an undergrad. I mean, I just, it's literally so cool. The content that you're going to be learning is incredible. And also, yeah, if you're in any way interested in maybe being a mental health provider in mm -hmm. the future, like there's really no other way to get experience like that. So. Yeah, I will say that I, so I went to undergrad in Michigan too. Yeah. Um, if you're at all interested in clinical psychology or any kind of like therapy work in your future, this course is probably the best way to get your toe in the water. Yeah. Um, of course, unless you're in like a research lab already and you have that experience with someone who is in clinical psychology, then that's a fantastic mm -hmm. way to go through it. Mm -hmm. But if you just want to know what the field is about, what kind of work you do in clinical psychology, this is a good introduction course and to my knowledge I don't think there is like courses about clinical psychology offered to undergrads um widely in general it's yeah. just not really yeah, a yeah, thing sure. um but specifically at Michigan I I was never aware of one so if you're interested it could be fun plus you get to hang out with Nima and I'm a, I'm I will say I will be playing music at every class Her, yes actually <laughs> she is really good she actually made a playlist that I stole and yeah I with my yeah me and my section last semester we boogied a lot. They were all themed based on potential adjacency to um, mental health. If yeah. I'm it's really easy to find songs related <laughs> to mental health because most people are singing about emotions. And I'm just like, mm, emotion. That's yes. psychology. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I guess it really is a shared experience. Um, okay. That's so great. Um, thank you so much for sharing both about your own social anxiety, but also about the class um, and with lifters in general. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any final parting words of wisdom to those who are listening? I'm just going to say in a resounding hang in there. Okay. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think life is hard in general right yeah, now yeah, for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Just hang in there. Talk to the people around you um, and just take care of yourself. Yeah. That's a great way to end. <laughs> hang in there, everyone. Um, and you know, thank you again. I really am so grateful Aww, for Hannah. <laughs> this episode. I think this has really been excellent, and I hope that those who are listening um, could relate to Nima's story, but and also benefit for some of the things that she. Yeah, about. thanks for listening, guys. Woohoo! <laughs> um, okay, thanks everyone. Have a nice day. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening just jumping back on to provide my usual list of resources. So Nima talked a lot about social anxiety today, so I'm going to be linking some social anxiety specific resources in the podcast notes, in addition to some information about mood lifters, which is the program here at the University of Michigan that she talked about. In addition, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. University of Michigan Hospital Psychiatric Emergency Service number is 742-936-5900. I also wanted to use this time to give a special shout out to Justin at the Shapiro Design Lab at the University of Michigan who has been so, so helpful with all of um, our recordings.
recording for this podcast. Um, and also to Blue Dot Sessions, who provided uh, this track that I have been using for the music and all the episodes. Please um, don't forget to leave us a rating on Spotify or on Apple um, Podcasts. I would really appreciate that and so we can spread the word about this podcast Um, and if you're interested in being a podcast guest I'm always looking for guests you can fill out um, the link uh, the survey in the link either in the podcast notes or on the podcast website um, and that gets sent directly to me and I'll contact you if I think you're a good fit thank you so much